on this episode of The Nosebleeds, it is officially the best time of the year in which the three major sports are going on at the same time. We've got NFL, NBA, and the last leg of the MLB, the World Series. All this and more coming up on The Nosebleeds. What's good, everybody? Welcome back to the Nosebleeds podcast. That is K-N-O-W-S Bleeds because we know what we're talking about, but we sit up in the Nosebleeds because we're broke. And as always, it's me, your girl B, and... It's your boy. Yo, what up, y'all? It's Kush. And today, we are going to be talking about the three major sports, but right now, as we speak, the World Series is going on, game three. The Nats are up in the World Series, two to zip. The Astros are up right now though in game three one zero yeah so we're gonna we're gonna recap the first two games which i think took everyone by surprise and excitement yeah it was fun so let's talk about game one who was pitching for the nationals max scherzer who has been a beast this offseason insane he's giving it all he has and he has thoroughly impressed me and the Nats also went up against Garrett Cole and the Astros and it was a close game 5-4 Nationals ended up taking this one um I think this is what everybody expected going into the World Series kind of tight but surprising like you said Kush that the Nationals came out on top yeah and this is Garrett Cole's first loss since May so he's had 25 games where he's got 19 wins and the others were no decisions and he finally lost which is why I think it was surprising the Nationals definitely got the best of him and uh and to lose in the world series yeah of and, all times and max scherzer he was he had a rough first inning to start but then after that first inning he was just dealing the entire game um garrett cole got lit up especially by juan soto uh juan soto 20 he actually turns 21 today happy, happy birthday. birthday happy birthday so he's 21 so if the nationals win he actually may be able to drink the champagne this time <laughs> he won't have to hide in the corner <laughs> exactly no but i i think it's fair to say he's he's a star already he is, I think I told you this before we started recording, he's the funnest person to watch in the World Series right now for me. Yeah, he, his first World Series game almost had a cycle. He was the triple shy of the cycle. Yeah. And he's the best hitter on this team right now during this whole postseason. And I believe he's one of the young, he's one of the youngest, not the youngest, he's one of the youngest to hit in the cleanup spot in, the, in a World Series. I think the youngest was Miguel Cabrera for the Marlins. I believe so, yeah. Yes, but... I mean, that's great company to be with. And then George Springer with his fifth consecutive World Series game with a home run. Almost had two home runs this game. but uh, And he actually might have tied the ball game up in the late innings. Uh, the one he did, his second one that he thought he hit, and I think everyone thought he hit, Adam Eaton uh, flew or jumped for the to try to rob him, but then ended up hitting off the the back and he he was trotting because he thought it was a home run and I think everyone did too and if he wasn't trotting it definitely would have been a triple and the batter right after him was Jose Altuve who ended up popping out to right field so that could have been an easy sack fly right there which would have made the game uh tied so I mean you, you gotta take advantage of all the opportunities that you have like can't trot around it's a world series you gotta go all out balls out oh definitely I mean this goes back to players choking it. You can't choke in the World Series. And I'm not saying this is necessarily a choke because it is the first game, and that's why they it's a, it's a best out of seven games. 
But, I mean, you can't make those mistakes and you can't allow runs, especially like a team against the Nationals, because they will capitalize on it. Now, uh, moving on to game two. Actually, so throughout the – actually, so throughout – this podcast will give updates of what's going on in the World Series because it is happening right now. So I believe it is the middle of the second inning right now. Houston is up one to nothing. They did leave, I think, three people on base, though, so far. So they left two on this past inning, and then they left one on in the first inning. So moving on to game two of the World Series, and boy, oh boy, Justin Verlander. Wow. Like, I'm I'm still in awe at this point at what the Nationals were able to, and it wasn't even Justin Verlander's fault. Like Verlander, obviously, yes, did not have a good start, but going into the seventh inning, it was still a two-two ball game. That's true. And <laughs> as soon as they took out Verlander out and put Presley in, all hell broke loose. He didn't even pitch a full inning. He allowed three hits. There were three errors, and. All those runs. And then they, uh, six scored, runs. they scored six runs in that inning. And then ended up, the final score was 12-3, to 3, which I don't think anybody yeah. saw that coming. I mean, I'm just saying, though, with Justin Verlander, he's known as one of the most dominant pitchers in, the, pitchers in the league. And to allow two runs right out the gate, you can't have that, especially not in the World Series, like we just talked about. The Nationals capitalized. And it was a good game. And then, boom, seventh inning. And then eighth inning. The crazy, the crazy stat that I saw is that Verlander has the fourth highest ERA in World Series history. So, I mean, if Garrett Cole and Justin Verlander can't stop the Nationals, then I don't think anyone can. Honestly, it's I'm rooting for the Nats. I really do think that they're going to take this World Series. I think, I think Yankee fans and Dodger fans have uh, joined together to root against the Astros, and so far it's been working. I mean, yeah, people say, like, oh, you're a Dodger fan and you're going to root for the Nationals. Yeah. I mean, there's a, such a story behind it. They haven't been to a World Series since 1924, I think. And so to go to this World Series and to win is going to be huge, not only for the city, but for the organization. And honestly, nobody wants the Astros to win, like you said. So, yeah. but it is a pretty fun World Series and it's really fun to watch the Nationals start on top. I think. The Nationals have a 89% chance of winning this World Series. So it's looking rough for the Astros right now. But if any team were to come back, I feel like it would be the Astros. I think so, too. I don't think the Astros are going to let the Nationals escape with the World Series sweep. I just don't think it's going to happen. Um, I, but I only see them winning a couple games. Yeah. So the Astros are looking like a shit show right now not only on the field but uh, off the field as well uh there was some incident with a reporter and uh assistant gm of the astros brandy you care to touch on that yes so apparently uh brandon taubman uh, who's the assistant gm is no longer for the astros and this is because of some remarks he said towards quote unquote female reporters so as some most people know Robert Osuna is a pitcher he was suspended by the MLB for 75 games um because of charges of of domestic abuse domestic violence abuse and in the middle I believe in the middle of um serving his 75 days he was traded to the Astros and when the Astros clinched the American League pennant in the corner of the room the assistant GM Brandon Taubman had yelled like at least a quote, apparently half a dozen times. Thank God we got Osuna. I'm so effing glad we got Osuna, which 
saying this to female reporters after his domestic violence dispute. We're not going to get into that actual thing because you could look it up if you want to know, um, especially to women like. And I, I believe one of the reporters was actually wearing a purple bracelet, which yes. was domestic violence uh, awareness. So. Mm-hmm. So really stupid, very, very inappropriate in any sense, no matter who he said that to, inappropriate to say that, to say, oh, I'm so glad, like, um, sir, wait a second, like, he's a, he's not, he might not be the best person off the field. And I think the Astros, they, they first came out and said that wasn't his intentions, but then came out and reversed what they said and said, like, yeah, that's not okay that he said that. Yeah. So it was unprofessional on them at a point, but I think they did the right thing in firing him because you can't have someone like that who's that unprofessional being, uh part of your franchise exactly especially a bigger a bigger role in the front office and actually so this so this was um the story was published by sports illustrated reporter stephanie abstein or i'm sorry if i said her name wrong um, or abstein abstein but she initially put the story out and she got and then the houston astros actually initially came out like you said saying that that wasn't true she's lying basically and then they got a lot of flack for that and then that's why they reversed it so i think they made at the very end they made the right call and i'm glad they did and also i think they did that because they were getting a lot of this and it was affecting it might have affected their world series how people they a lot of reporters asked after the first two games did we know what's going on off the field affect this team and they said no 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 but you know when you're especially your front office or your coaches you're still constantly thinking about that and then you have to be more aware of what you say what you do you're on so edge it, more. exactly in the your when your entire focus should be on winning the world series so i think it was a good call for this situation in particular i think it would have been a little different if this happened off season or if this or i don't know if this happened like in the beginning of the season okay so let's move on to some more happy news well happy news for me and nba fans all around the world because the nba is finally back i feel like it's been forever and this has been one of the most anticipated seasons in nba history with the with the the nba historically crazy off season with Kawhi, with anthony davis yep. with westbrook with all yep. that stuff so nba was finally back and what better way to kick it off then the Lakers versus Clippers on opening day. The big rivalry, rivalry, LeBron James and Anthony Davis versus Kawhi Leonard. Um, and not Paul George because he wasn't playing yeah. yet. Uh, Brandy was uh, at the game and so was I. Brandy was working the game. I was just there in attendance as a fan. And wow. So the, the a talk- hell of a game to kick the season off. Um, amazing. Honestly, there was there was a lot of Laker fans everywhere, as expected. But there were a lot more Clipper fans that showed out. I've got to say, it was probably about 60-40 Laker fans. Sixty being the Laker fans, yeah. right? Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. I would I would definitely agree. I mean, Kawhi was getting boozed. The first LeBron, quarter, yeah. every single time Kawhi Leonard had the ball or touched so, the ball, you know, he got booed. Did you see that meme? The hey hey hey, oh, like yeah. Kawhi Leonard. <laughs> so I'm in attendance and I had decent seats. And when he came on the mic and said that, I didn't even hear him say that hey 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 part because as soon as he touched the microphone, all Laker fans were just booing and it was wow. just loud so i mean it wasn't until i got home i got on my phone to like look at twitter and stuff like that that i was like oh that's actually pretty funny that i missed that but yeah Kawhi was getting booed non-stop lebron was getting mvp chance at the free throw line yeah like, it was just wild and then after then in the first quarter the honestly the clippers did not look too hot in the first quarter and it started i think they were down by like I think the 11. Most, 11 points i was yeah. gonna say 10 or 12 points but they were down by 11 points so it was kind of like oh no like 
you know, and, this can't be. And the Lakers were doing a good job because, to be honest, the Clippers really had nobody to stop Anthony Davis, and they kept feeding him to him in the post, and he mm-hmm. kept going to work. But I think what kind of backfired on him was Frank Vogel, I think, put him in for too long. And you could definitely tell that Anthony Davis started looking gassed. Like, obviously, this is the first game of the season. Because they were, they were only giving the ball. It was just a pick and roll between LeBron and AD the whole time. Yeah. And on the jump, um, and Rachel Nichols said on her show, The Jump, on ESPN, that <laughs> uh, it was actually really funny. She said, um, I knew what the next play was going to be. Those people in the stands knew. The guy serving out popcorn knew. They all knew that the ball was going from LeBron to AD. And that's ultimately how the Clippers stopped them. Also, the whole Kawhi started shooting. He took off after the first quarter. Yeah. He did say after the game in an interview that, you know, it didn't affect me. It was just noise. But, I mean, when you're getting booed like that, I'm pretty sure that affected him just a smidge. Mm, if, and if then it, after if that. If anyone, it would be Kawhi Leonard who it wouldn't affect. That guy's a straight robot. <laughs> well, yeah. But, I mean, look what happened in the first quarter. He wasn't doing too hot. And then he just took off he just needed to see a shot or two go in and then all of a sudden he went like kobe mj mode and just was taking fadeaway mid-ranges three-pointers the defense and the defense was a crazy part because it wasn't only Kawhi leonard it was mo harkless it was patrick beverly it was montrez harrell so i mean it was a full uh effort from the clippers defense and uh lebron this was my first time actually seeing LeBron in person and, and Kawhi too. I've seen Anthony Davis before, but seeing LeBron and Kawhi Leonard in person, it was, uh, it was intense. LeBron great at all. As always, he's always going to be great. And it was amazing watching, but he was very passive. passive. I was going to say he didn't look too hot, honestly, against this Clippers team. If you're LeBron James and you realize what, the Clippers have done bringing in Kawhi Leonard, bringing in Paul George to a team that was an eight seed that took the Warriors to six games coming back from down 35 in the postseason. You know, they're going to come full force because they're trying to make LA a Clippers town, which probably won't happen until a long, long time. But Mm -hmm. they're, they're trying to come and they're trying to win the fans over, win LA over and basically say stable center is our place. Now you guys are the number two team. So, with that in mind, LeBron needs to have a mindset of, hell no, you guys aren't coming in here and doing that. It's going to be Lakers. It's going to be our team and only our team. You and he what? just didn't seem like he had that mindset or he, he had that mentality. I think it's also be that and because LeBron's not a true – would you consider LeBron a true Laker? When he retires, would you consider him a true Laker? No. He just got to the Lakers. So I think that home field or like home this advantage, he's never – he that's not for him. It's not but I don't in this think, situation. I don't think he's ever been a number two. And to think that he might be a number two to Kawhi Leonard in L.A., like that has to be playing on your mind somewhat. Then maybe he thought he was just too cocky and thought, oh, no big deal. Which, I mean, like you said, should not be the right idea considering exactly. what the Clippers have done in the offseason and even last year in the playoffs. So He probably thought it was more like, you know, it's only game one. You know, we're playing them three more times and I'm going to conserve my energy for the playoffs, which, yeah, rightfully so he should. But at the same time, you should not go full force in one game, the first game, the one that everybody's going to talk about until December. Exactly. Yeah. And that's a big point is that their next matchup isn't until December, which I'm hoping that everyone is healthy so we can see a full matchup between the Lakers and the Clippers. Yeah, the Clippers didn't even have Paul George. That's that's what I was going to get to, which is the crazy part. But um, yeah, so LeBron. Kind of disappointing. I'm sure all Laker fans can say that. Anthony Davis mm-hmm. can only do so much. Mm-hmm. And then they're I, role players. I think, like I said last podcast, why I think the Clippers would be the number one seed is going to be the role players. Yes, you have. On that court, there was three of the top five players in AD, Kawhi, and LeBron James. Three mm-hmm. of the top five players in the league. And then Paul George, top ten player. I think that goes without saying. Yeah. 
So knowing that you have those four players right there, it's those two are going to match up pretty evenly to a point, but now it's who, who's the role players around them that are going to surround them, the bench players, the role players, all that type of stuff. And I think that's where the Lakers are going to take some time to start gelling and get that chemistry because the Clippers team is basically the same team from last season. Yeah, in addition to superstars. Exactly. And the Clippers bench outscored the Lakers bench. I think the Clippers bench had 60 points. And 60 to 22, I believe. Yeah, something crazy, which is – that's pretty bad. And let's not forget Awful. KCP for the Lakers. Oh, my God. He was out there just for cardio. <laughs> yeah. He, he, if anything, he made things worse. He did not score one bucket. 27 minutes and zero points. He had five fouls or six five fouls? fouls? Five fouls. Five fouls. Zero. Shit, give me a Lakers jersey. <laughs> I will go out there and just, just give me one of just his paychecks. So times. Maybe, maybe a six-figure paycheck of his or whatever. I can, I can do that for you. I can get I can paid to foul five times you. and not have to shoot. Exactly. I will do that for you any day, Frank Vogel. <laughs> <laughs> so, but yeah, and he had a plus-minus rating of a minus eight, which is awful. Bad. But I think Terrible. huge, huge, huge for the Lakers was Danny Green. Looked yeah. confident as ever. He looked really, really good in the first quarter. I think Danny Green is one of the best players you can put around LeBron James as a 3 and D player. Just st- sit in that corner all day and he'll kick it out to you. As long as you make your shot, you're good. Mm-hmm. Play defense. As long as you play defense, which he was doing to Kawhi Leonard for a certain amount of time, you're good. Yeah, That's all you need to do. I mean, the Lakers didn't look terrible. We're not going to say that. It was a close game. The whole were, time. There were the also, very, very they all were, also were missing Kuzma. So that's a big thing as well, yeah. too. A lot of people, a lot of Laker fans, I said, don't worry, guys. Like, Kuzma's going to come back. They're like laughing. But I'm, well, we'll see how big of a role player Kuzma will be and see how, to this Lakers team. Kuzma's going to be big. But I mean, when you put up, they were missing Kuzma, Rondo, and Alex Caruso. That still doesn't add up to the Clippers missing Paul George. Yeah, definitely. I mean, Alex Caruso, he's done significantly well for the Lakers towards the end of last season. Apparently, compared to all Laker fans, he's the GOAT. (laughs) Yeah. One thing, though, he's got to shave his head. Like, why does he keep that just patch of hair in the front? What's he holding on to? I don't know. What's he holding on to? That's what gives him his vertical. (laughs) That's what gives him his bunny. That (laughs) That V in the front? Yeah, that widow's peak. He's like Avatar, the last airbender. Oh, my God. So, suggestion to... (laughs) That's what you should be for Halloween. Just paint, just to spray paint the blue part. That's funny. That'd be so funny. So, yeah, the Clippers definitely had a very, very good victory, both morally and for for both the franchise Mm -hmm. and the fans itself, too. I mean, we have some bragging rights until they meet up again December 25th. And then uh, the Clippers played the Warriors last night. We're recording this Friday evening, and they were. they played the Warriors in the Chase Center, their their debut in the Chase Center, and... They got smacked. Yeah, let's just say Kawhi Leonard ended their season in the Oracle Arena and basically ended their first game in the new Chase Center. So, I mean, yep. losses in both arenas, and Kawhi Leonard... This is the crazy part. Kawhi Leonard only played 21 minutes, and they still got a 20-point victory. They were up as much as 31 points last night. And, you know, the whole thing about load management and Kawhi Leonard getting mm-hmm. his rest, he may not have to load manage if they're just blowing out teams and they don't even need to put him back in the game. That could Seriously. be the load management right there. Guy could play 82 games of the season right there. Yeah. So the Clippers and back to the Clippers bench, they had 68 points off the bench against the Warriors. Yeah. Given the Warriors are 
definitely not the same team as they were last year. Yeah, definitely not. Um, yeah, and I think I said this in an earlier podcast um, when we talked about if this is going to be the end of the Warriors' reign, and it definitely is. Now that KD's not there, and it's apparent they need more shooters, Clay Thompson's out for the season. And as a matter of fact, Charles Barkley said to Clay Thompson's face, you guys aren't going to go to the playoffs this year because they kind of, I don't know, he was pretty savage. Clay Thompson just kind of sat there and took it. But basically, Steph Curry can only get you so many points and Draymond Green as well. And there's just, it's just not enough to be, to win, especially in a dominant West as we have with, like we said, the Clippers, Lakers. There, it's just going to be way too difficult, especially since Clay's not there. And I, I agree. I agree with Charles Barkley. Okay. You agree with Charles Barkley? I do. I actually disagree with Charles Barkley. I don't think, obviously, they're going to be a top five, maybe not even top six seed in the West, but I think they will sneak in at, the, at that seventh or eighth seed. And, yes, they didn't look good. But then again, it was against the Clippers, and the Clippers are just so damn dominant that, I mean, they're basing their whole season and the future of their season against for one game. So that's why I think Steph Curry's going to be Steph Curry. He just got locked up that game with, by Pat Bev, but who doesn't get locked up by Pat Bev? And then D'Angelo Russell, as soon as he starts gelling with this new offense and all that stuff, and then Draymond Green, actually, he got hurt in the first quarter and was sitting out for a while, but I think he, he'll be fine because he came back into the game. But Maybe you're right. They do have to gel more, but I just don't think they have enough to make it. That's possible, too, because I feel like so. that's why – I think Steph Curry can only do so much because you can't bank on Draymond Green for the scoring load at all. Yeah, because then as a team But I mean, you also have D'Angelo Russell. So, I mean, D'Angelo Russell, he looked good. He made their first 10 points of the game for the Warriors, and he he was bringing back-to-back threes and stuff like that. But Correct, but all you have to do as an NBA team going up against the Warriors, all you have to do is lock up Steph Curry, and you're going to win the game. But it's not that easy just to lock up Steph Curry. There's only a handful of people that can do that. And guys like Kawhi, guys like Giannis, guys like uh, Patrick Beverly. Like, there's only a handful of guys, and they're obviously not going to play them every single night of the week. So, I mean, against those lower-tier NBA teams, which are must-love, which are basically write-offs to win, they're going to have to win those games, and they're going to have to buckle up and, and win against some of these top-tier teams as well, which I think they can do. It's just They just can't make mistakes. Exactly. And I think they just have to figure out a better game plan because the game plan yesterday just was awful because the Clippers were just going ham on him. And I mean, not to say that Steve Kerr won't get it together, but I just think the West is way too dominant for the Warriors to not make a mistake one and two to be able to push through everything that they're going through. It's just not going to be their year this year. It's just that's why I, so that's why I think they're going to be a bottom seed, but I still think they're going to make the playoffs. It's going to be tough, but back to like the Clippers, their defense, and they, like you said, they only have one half of their star duo. And their defense, in the first two games, Anthony Davis and LeBron James held them to 38% shooting. Steph Curry and D'Angelo Russell held them to 39% shooting. And you can't only put that on Patrick Beverly and Kawhi Leonard because it's a defensive effort mm-hmm. and rotation. So, I mean, this Clippers defense is very scary, and it's they still only have one half of their superstar duo. Okay, well, quick World Series update. Michael Brantley for the Astros just singled and Jose, Jose Altuve. Altuve scored off of initially he had a triple to lead off the third. So it is now top of the third, two nothing national Astros. Yeah. Okay. So let's talk about our NBA award predictions, which we've been meaning to do for a while, but I mean, it's not even a week into the NBA, so we can still make predictions. So let's start off with MVP. Brandy, I'll let you go first. Who do you have for MVP? Kawhi Leonard. He's going to take this Clippers team far. You already saw it. 
just the way he operates. This man is a robot. He's not making any mistakes anytime soon. And he's gonna he's the king of the West. No doubt in my mind he's gonna be MVP this year. I could see that, but I think once Paul George comes back, his numbers are gonna scale down a bit. They're not he's not gonna be putting up the thirty points per night kind of a thing. It's gonna scale down and then plus if they have these big leads, who knows if they're even gonna play him a lot of minutes. So that's why statistically wise, I don't think it's gonna look that great on paper, which is why voters may not vote for him. But if and like also when has MVP have they really gone by most valuable player? Like if that was the case, then maybe Harden would have won last year. Because they kind of just true. go off of record, off of your statistics kind of a thing. They don't really go, who's the most valuable player on a team? Like, if you were to take this player off of the team, how would that team kind of do? You know what I'm saying? Okay, well, then who would you have for as MVP? I would have Steph Curry. But I would have Steph Curry because, obviously, I think if you have this team, they're bottom three team in this league. Bottom it's five only if, team the wor- in this league. if the Warriors succeed, then I could kind of see, but I don't think so. So that's also another thing. If they if they don't make the playoffs, then there's no way he's winning it. But if they make like the sixth seed even, I think they will because I have a feeling this guy's going to average about 36 points a game. He's going to have to. Exactly. If they, they want to go. If and I think, he's, prediction he's, I, I think he's more than capable of doing because he's the best shooter in NBA history. And he has he's really good passer, passer and his ball handling is on a different level as well. So, I mean, he has all the tools to do it and he has decent teammates around him as well. So that's why I think Steph Curry may win. But it is very contingent on where they finish in the yeah. Western Conference. So next for Rookie of the Year, I know Zion's hurt. He's probably going to be out for 20 games, but I still have him as Rookie of the Year because, yes, he'll be out the 20 games. But when he comes back, he's first of all going to be itching to play basketball. Second of all, preseason, he averaged 23 points a game in the four games that he played. So he's going to be dominant. He made these NBA men who have been playing the league for years look like children zion when he makes his comeback it's going to be one for one for one thing it's going to be the best day of a pelican fan's life and two it's going to be a sight to see and i think he'll take working of the year because he's going to excel that much to compensate for missing 20 games so i i did initially have zion but once i saw this injury and he's going to be out for like you said 20 games gonna be out six to eight weeks that's a fourth of the season i think that's just far too long for him to be out and also, given his injury history, which let's actually just talk about that right now, is I, I think injuries are going to be a problem for Zion Williamson in his career because in the past eight months, he's been injured three times. The guy hasn't even had an NBA game yet, like a real NBA game, and he's been injured from Duke, from the Summer League, and then now with his meniscus. So, I mean, I well, think injuries are going to be a problem because he's just he's a huge dude. He's like 285, and that's just a lot of weight to put on those knees uh, day in and day out, and especially the way he plays, taking it to the rim. And like, kind of like if you look at Blake Griffin. Blake Griffin came into this league as a high flyer, dunking mm-hmm. on people. He had injury issues with his knees and then I think that's when he kind of scaled back he's like okay I'm gonna be a little bit more of a playmaker I'm gonna expand on my game and actually get a jump shot and now look at him like he's when he is his health issues are now like in his upper body not his lower body as much so I think Zon Williamson's gonna definitely have to adjust his game if he wants to stay healthy because I think an 82 game season is just way too much wear and tear on those knees I I agree with the lot the last part of what you said how he has to adjust his game a little bit because I mean but think about it Zion's come out first year in college he hasn't really had a health professional or a fitness expert to sit down with him and say hey your body is this way 
you need to make this, this, and this adjustments, whether it's to your diet, whether it's to how you're exercising or how you're stretching. He hasn't really had the professional grade level of that that's going to help him succeed in his career because he's only, what, 19, 20 years old? Things like 19. Yeah, he's 19 going on 20 years old. He hasn't had that. And I think, yes, he's going to be out. It is a meniscus, um, and which is honestly, it's not a huge injury. You could still, you could technically still um, perform on a meniscus, but it just, it's extreme pain. Shout out to my mom. She's had two meniscus surgeries, but they do say that once you injure your meniscus once, it's easier to injure it again. So that's just what he's going to have to be wary of, like you said. And, but I think once he gets that medical grade training of, Hey, this is how your body is. Like you need to do this, this and this. And I think the Pelicans are definitely going to do that because they're leaning on him to be their franchise. Mean, what guy. do you mean by this, this and this? Are you talking about him potentially having to lose weight? And stuff no, no, like I mean, that, or maybe, but it could because if be it, a range of things, it could be how you eat, the way you're stretching, the technology we have into finding out how to fine tune your body, especially for an athlete, is insane. Pretty much what LeBron does. He's going to have to get to a LeBron scale, how LeBron has his own doctor and all this stuff to so really measure his body and adjust, make adjustments to his diet, maybe exercises. Maybe when he exercises, he can't do a certain thing as much you know maybe it's something like in a drill that he does i'm not i'm not an expert but there are ways where you could pick that apart and just make adjustments and like you said he might he might not have to be a flyer guy anymore he can't dunk on people all the time but it's adjustments gonna have to be made for him to succeed i don't i think that the pelicans are going to want this for him because they're lying they're leaning on him a lot um they do have i mean ingram and lonzo but they want Zion to be their franchise guy. And if they want that to happen, they need to make these adjustments. And bringing up, the, I'm glad you brought up the LeBron James point because LeBron James coming into the league was about 250 and then he gained more weight, 260. And I think when he was in Miami, he was about 265 or 260 around there. Now the guy's 250, 245. So he's lost significant weight. And I think that's something that Zion will definitely have to do. But I think so much of his game is surrounded by his mass and his just dominance and muscle and stuff like that. So I think if he definitely loses weight, he will definitely see a dip in him going up strong at the rim. So I think well, I changing mean, I- his game as well to like a three-point shot. Because now you look at LeBron James, he's taking way more fadeaways in the post. He's taking way more three-point shots from behind the arc. So I mean... There's a lot of differences that Zion is going to have to make and he's going to have to adjust if he wants to have a successful uh, long career. And we're not, I'm not saying that he has to lose weight in losing muscle mass. He's just going to have to lose weight. He's not chubby or fat by any means. But, I mean, I'm sure there's some extra body fat on him that he could get rid of that could, and yeah, you could turn into muscle and improve it. Different stretches, different things it's, he could do. It, like, it, there's it a lot of, like, technology is so insane for him to not be able to be successful if he takes the right precautions. If he doesn't and just keep doing what he is doing, then it could be a problem in his future. But I don't think the Pelicans are going to let that happen. But, I mean, it's not ultimately on the Pelicans as well because it's also a lifestyle decision. I mean, the guy well, is yeah, huge. But, I mean, the Pelicans are going to try to supply him with whatever right, he can right. in regards to doctors and stuff. But Zion has to follow through with that. I think he will. And Why I wouldn't you? He, he knows if he knows himself, knows his body. He has to make those adjustments. If well, it, I mean, you'll be surprised. The number one pick, Jamarcus Russell, for the Raiders. Look what happened to him. The guy came into camp in his second season at 300 pounds. Like he knew he could have been one of the best quarterbacks in the league. Guy came in as a damn offensive lineman playing quarterback. Yeah. And so I mean, sometimes the money just gets to you, and you just stop taking care of your body. It's a lifestyle, which I don't think is going to happen to Zion. But you also just never know. But I think. 
if he doesn't make changes, the changes like you were saying, I can definitely see injuries being a problem for him for his entire career. I mean, and yeah. if if he does change, then great for him. I would love to see him be more versatile because, and I because I would just love to see him watch him play basketball because it's amazing to watch. I can't guy. wait until after these twenty games and he gets to play again. Yeah, it's gonna be so fun it'll to watch. Do, Preseason do. was fun to watch. Yeah, when he was on the court. Come on now. So you have him for rookie of the year, even though he's out for that amount of time. I believe. Okay, well, I'm gonna go with number two pick, which was John Morant uh, on the Memphis Grizzlies, and he's just he's just a baller. Uh, and I think, especially in Memphis, he has a lot. Like, there's really no scores over there in Memphis, so he's gonna have a lot of that offense on his shoulders. So he's gonna get ample opportunities to produce for that Memphis team. Uh, okay, let's go defensive player of the year. I have Kawhi Leonard. And it, it was kind of a toss-up for me with Kawhi Leonard and Giannis, but I'm just going to go with Kawhi because I think he is the best defensive player in the entire league. I just don't know if he's going to get enough of minutes and enough of uh, games to play to put up the stats. Because I think Giannis is a younger guy. So I have Giannis as my defensive so you player. Have, okay. So, yeah, so I can't really argue with that because I think it's going to be one of those two guys. And I think Giannis is younger, which means he has he's going to play more games than – Obviously, because they're going to be more cautionate about um, Kawhi. Kawhi Leonard. So the statistics may kind of go in the way for Giannis. So let's move on to sixth man of the year. Who you got? I have Lou Will. I think it goes without saying after look at the Clippers bench right now. I mean, yeah, we're supposed to do this before. But Lou Will was, has been a force his entire career. Yeah, they should. If he wins this year, they might, they should just name the award the Lou Will Award. Literally, because this would be his fourth time winning the Sixth Man of the Year award, and uh, that's that'd be the most in NBA history to win the Sixth Man of the Year. I mean, he's already put up the most points off a bench in NBA history as well, passing Del Curry last year. So, but surprisingly, I don't have him as my Sixth Man of the Year. Ooh, I have Derrick Rose. Uh, D in Rose, Detroit. D Rose, hey. I have him as my sixth man of the year, and uh, he's already been producing. He had 18 points his first game, 27 points in his second game as a Piston. So, I mean, unless, the only reason why I see him not potentially winning is if they put him in the starting lineup as a shooting guard alongside Reggie Jackson, which is highly possible. But if he's coming off the bench, I don't see why he doesn't because he has somewhat rejuvenated his career last year in Minnesota. And if he can just stay healthy, then – Sky's the limit for him. It'll be nice to see D Rose make a comeback and then getting that sixth man of the year. But I just, I just think it'd be a sad. It'd be a dope story, but yeah. that's kind of sad. Like to be the youngest MVP to now sixth man of the year, kind of a thing. I mean, in that injuries. I mean, it's ter- it sucks and it's terrible, but it does. injuries, you know. That's, so. That could be a thirty for thirty right there, ESPN. <laughs> yeah, hit us up. We'll do it. <laughs> we will need some funding. <laughs> and then most improved player, I have Jaron Jackson Jr. He's going to have that one-two punch with John Morant in Memphis. Jaron Jackson Jr. looked solid last year in his rookie year, and I think he's only going to take that next step. He can practically do it all. He can score. He can shoot the three. He can take it to the rack. He can defend interior uh, on the perimeter. So I think John, or Jaron Jackson Jr. is going to take that next leap and win most improved player. So for my most improved player, I have Shai um, Gilgis-Alexander. Even though, I mean, he's new, new city, OKC. 
I miss Shea. <laughs> I miss Shea so much. Yeah, I mean, he was one of my favorite Clippers from last year, and like he was so young and so much promise. But I mean, if we're gonna get Kawhi and Paul George, I'm not gonna say no. <laughs> it, uh, you better not. So, but he is, and even though they did lose to the Jazz, 195, not I mean, pretty close game, anyways. He had his career night. During his debut, he scored 26 points. It was mm-hmm. 10 for 23 shooting. Yeah, he looked good to start uh, for his debut in a Thunder's uniform. And not to mention he has Chris Paul and Gallinari around him as well. And I just think he's in a great position to be the most improved player. And he already started out hot, so he can only go up from here unless he goes down. But we're not going to say that. Knock on wood. I'm, I'm hoping, like, as even though he's not on my team, he's one of the guys in this league that I'm rooting for as if he were a Clipper so, shout out to Shea Gilgis Alexander. I'd love to see him win Most Improved Player because I think it's going to be one of those two players from uh, that were rookies last year. And then, last but not least, we have Coach of the Year, and I think you guys all know who I'm going to go with, Mr. Doc Rivers. I think can't argue. He's look what he's done the first two games of the season already, and that's without Paul George. Add Paul George to this lineup; they're going to be amazing. And I think I wouldn't be surprised if they end up winning 70 games this season, which is a lot, but it's definitely a possibility. And if he does win 70 games in the season, there's no way you don't give him coach of the year because that's only happened, I think, about three times in NBA history. So there's no way you don't give it to him. That's true. But I actually have somebody else for coach of the year. I have Frank Vogel. Now hear me out. The Lakers, the Clippers, yes, although Doc Rivers is a good coach. We've seen in the past what he's done with other programs. But with the Clippers, it's kind of easy for him in a way because he has an excelling bench. He has two of the top 10 players in the league on his team. So it's not as hard for him to be that number one team in the West. Everybody already knows he's going to be the number one team in the West. Now, Frank Vogel with the Lakers, first year as a Lakers co- head Lakers coach, um, he has, yes, LeBron and AD. But as we've seen, his bench, he's got to work a little harder to force them to gel together to be successful. Do I think it can happen? Yeah. And I think that if Frank Vogel becomes successful and then the Lakers become maybe competing really hard for that top seed, doesn't make it a cakewalk for the Clippers, then he will get um, coach of the year because it's a lot harder. And if he succeeds with more difficulties, I think that's something worth mentioning or something worth winning coach of the year for. I think so. Frank Vogel is known to be a defensive minded head coach. And I think with LeBron James and Anthony Davis, the offensive load is definitely going to be on them. And like you said, their bench is kind of a question mark right now, but I think it'll, it'll be figured out by the time they gel. I, I would honestly give it a month and a half for them to gel and finally get on the, tr- the right track. Give it knock on wood that no injuries happen to the Lakers. But I, I still think Doc Rivers for my reason, but if Frank Vogel and the Lakers do end up with a top four seed, maybe even a top three seed in the Western Conference, he will definitely be in that conversation for coach of the year since yeah. he is a first-year coach. So, but I mean, if Doc Rivers can get that 70-win mark, that's his. That's all his. Can't argue with that. And there also are other great coaches. You have Quinn Snyder for the Jazz. The Jazz are going to be scary this year. Michael Malone. And tonight the, the Jazz and Lakers play. Yep, that's going to be a hell of a game. I think that starts in an hour for us. Um, but yeah, so that's going to be very, very interesting. And then last but not least, to wrap up the NBA, we had um, the someone like to call him the GOAT, Michael Jordan. He was on an interview with the Today Show and... Uh, he basically said Steph Curry is not a Hall of Famer. Um, 
He was also drinking tequila during the interview, so whatever that tequila is, I'm going to need some of that because if it makes you say some outlandish things like that, <laughs> let me get some. So you, so I just don't know why he said that. Somebody said that Michael Jordan had to say that because he couldn't say that Steph tampering. Curry was a Hall of Famer because it was tampering. But no, I don't believe that shit. How do you, I mean... But I don't know. You're a multi-billion wow. dollar guy. You own the Charlotte Hornets. Like, there's no... And what the weird part is, is that Steph Curry and Michael Jordan are really close to each other. The family, like, because Del Curry played for the Hornets and uh, mm-hmm. Michael Jordan is from Charlotte. So it's like, that that whole family just knows each other. They go golfing every now and then. It's like... Maybe it was a shot just, for being petty for something that happened... And within the their trip, lives, maybe, maybe maybe the golf trip, maybe Steph Curry beat him and he's a little salty. But yeah, there's no way you, this guy, if this man retired today, he'd for sure be inducted into the Hall 100%. of Fame. One hundred percent. And so Steve Kerr and Steph had some stuff to say about that. They kind of retaliated. Uh, St- Steve Kerr said, quote, I think Michael has his own version of the Hall of Fame. It's in his own head, whatever that is. And that's what it is. End quote. So that's funny. Um, I like I love Steve Curry. He's one of my favorite yeah, coaches in the league. He, he and definitely is. yeah, and Steph. Let, let me just give you Steph's resume real quick. Six, in case you didn't know who he was and you didn't know that he's time, one of the best ever. Six time All Star, two time MVP. The only the one of them was the only player in NBA history to win that award unanimously. Three time All NBA first team. Third all-time in three points made behind Reggie Miller and Ray Allen, and he's 688 away from the number one spot, which he'll definitely get. And he's one of eight players to have two MVPs and three NBA championships. So, And all, all those other seven players are in the Hall of Fame or are going to be because LeBron James is a part of that category as well. So I, <laughs> I don't know what Michael Jordan is like is on but it definitely has to be something personal because i don't think you can just say that like with a straight face right and speaking like i'm glad you said that you think it's personal i agree because steph they asked steph curry about what about what mj said and he had said quote i think i'm good but then i'm never complacent i know i have more to prove myself when you hear a guy like that who's the greatest of all time it's kind of funny since we've been on this stage we've heard a lot of retired guys chiming in on this generation of basketball player and evaluating talent saying that their generation was better end quote so i think that's interesting point because there is the high road oh he definitely took the high road yeah i just think it's interesting because like that he said the old generation saying that oh we're better at basketball when it's definitely a debate whether it was that older generation or basketball players now who are the greatest of all time. And so maybe because they call, I mean, depending on how MJ was asked, like maybe he kind of felt like, well, no, I'm the best. So, and he, maybe he sees Steph Curry as a threat to his title of being the, one of the best players of all time. But Steph Curry even told him that he was the best player of all time. Yeah. So that's just another, that's just an interesting debate. It would be interesting to see more um, old timers come out and give their opinions on this because I you're always going to hear. If you watch the NBA Jump, you see Scottie Pippen, Trace McGrady always talking about this generation, that generation, how yeah. they they compare. But I mean, I don't think that argument will ever die because that's one thing we'll never be able to see whether the old and new generation how they play against each other. Yeah. But yeah, that's gonna wrap up the NBA. I'm excited it's back. Um, it's an exciting time. So let's move on to the NFL, the freaking Patriots. I hate the Patriots, like I said, but we always have to talk about them because they're just that freaking good. I cannot stand the Patriots, and who can if you're unless you're a Patriots fan? And like I said last week, 
If you're a Patriots fan, you could pretty much fall asleep and wake up when it's playoff time. When it's Super Bowl time. But actually, yeah, you're yeah. right, honestly. Well. But <laughs> the Patriots defense, they have been putting up stellar freaking numbers. And which brings up a question is, is this the best defense we've seen in NFL history? Let me give you a little stat about like some stats for them. They've posted a 175-point difference this season, which is second best in NFL history through seven weeks. The best was the Buffalo All-Americans in 1920s, and I'm pretty sure back then they probably had – first of all, they probably didn't even know all the rules to football yet. They are still trying to figure that out, and it was probably like, have you ever seen Longest Yard? Yeah. Like they probably had one big guy on the team that just <laughs> did everything for them, Yeah. and that was kind of like their, their unfair advantage. So Se- Second of all, I think the NFL compares to baseball in this way, how players in the past cannot touch – the players that are good now. Yeah, for sure. Not even close. For sure. It's not the same argument as the um, NBA one that we just talked about, the old timers versus the new timers. No way. The older NFL players, like some, I mean, with going without saying some of them, like, you know, Emmett Smith, probably one of the, the best running back, probably the best running back of all time. But. Had to bring her Cowboys in there real quick. Hmm? <laughs> Had to bring her Cowboys in there real quick. Oh, that's fine. Hey, we're not talking about them today. I got to give some rest support. I'm just Because <laughs> they're on a bye week. Yeah. <laughs> we're actually well, not going to talk about the Ravens and Cowboys this week. Well, actually, we are going to talk about the Ravens. But, yeah, they are both are on bye weeks this week. But, okay, let's continue with. I mean, but you're going to say Emmitt Smith is not one of the best. Is not no, he is. the best he is. running back of all time. I just, I just, he just happened to be on the Dallas Cowboys. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> I don't know what to tell you. Yeah, that's not my fault. Okay, <laughs> continuing. Anyways. The Patriots. Defense, just their defense, not the team in general. Their defense is giving up an average of four points a game. <laughs> That's insane. Remember going into week eight. It's not like this is week four. Three of those games are shutouts. One of the games, well, because they shut out the Jets, both their games, because the Jets uh, lost 30 to 14 in week three, but those two touchdowns for the Jets came from their defense. Mm-hmm. It was a fumble recovery touchdown, and it was a pick six. So, I mean, that wasn't their defense giving up the points. And then this past Monday night, they basically made Sam Darnold look, say he's seen ghosts out there and uh, scored 33 on them and shut him out. Sam Darnold had five turnovers, which was insane, which we'll get to in a bit. But they've only allowed four touchdowns through seven weeks of the season. That is insane. Right. I mean, and this is scary because, I mean, the biggest um, the biggest threat to defenses and on any team is the deep pass when the Quarterback has enough time in the pocket to lean back and throw, make a deep pass, make an amazing catch like we always see. There's always at least one a game on each side. Then that's what defenses struggle on. But this Patriots defense is not allowing that. Here's a stat. Their defensive success rate for deep pass coverage is at 88%. 88%. The next best is Detroit at 69%. They're just nice. murdering the league in this deep pass coverage, and that's where we see defenses struggle struggle the most. Some would say it's the run game, but they've got everything locked down so hard that it's it's going to be really tough is to see if anybody can beat this Patriots defense. So I think the only knock about why they wouldn't be the greatest defense in the NFL is, like you said, but it's been the quarterbacks that they've faced throughout these seven weeks. So going through the quarterbacks, I think the only – Legit one is Big Ben, which they played in week one and only allowed three points. But, I mean, that offense was kind of looking suspect that first week. And then Big Ben went out for the season. And then they had Josh Rosen and Ryan Fitzpatrick. That's pretty damn self-explanatory. I don't need to go into that. And then Luke Falk, who's not even on the Jets team anymore. He's a third-string quarterback. Now he's not even on the team. They cut him. That's how bad he was. And then Josh Allen, who put up a decent effort against them. Colt McCoy, who was their third-string quarterback for the Redskins, didn't do shit for them. Daniel Jones, who didn't show up that game. And then Sam was, Darnold. Yeah. 
And then Sam Darnold, who's seen ghosts. So Yeah, on the ESPN broadcast on Monday night, Sam Darnold said that he's like, it's like I'm seeing ghosts out there. And the Jets were not happy about that. They were embarrassed, which as they should be. I mean, yeah. I mean, if I'm the owner, GM, coach, whatever, I'm like, uh, could we cut that out? Like, I don't want that. But it was after he threw his second interception, and rightfully so. I mean, I... That, that brings it back to the Jets because they're the dumbasses who have a dumbass head coach in Adam Gase who, knowing that the Patriots' defense and how freaking dominant they are, they the Jets didn't want to have a check down receiver, tight end, or running back. They just wanted to keep going deep all game long, and that's when Sam Darnold started getting sacked, was throwing up ducks for interceptions and then fumbling the ball as well. So, I mean, the, the Jets and Adam Gase are the only ones to blame. For Sam Darnold seeing ghosts. Which is hilarious. Gotta love live TV. And I've got to say, the ESPN broadcast this year on Monday night is probably one of my favorites yeah, to cause, watch. Because Jason Witten's not on there anymore, thank God. Yeah, he was not good. He's like, you know what? I'm going to go play football again. Yeah. <laughs> I'm man. better at that. Oh, my God. It's it's hilarious watching Jason Witten playing because every time he catches the ball, he immediately falls because he does not want to get hit. He catches the ball and falls immediately. I mean, usually, there won't be a defender within 10 yards, and he will still fall and wait for someone to touch him. Oh, so the play dramatic. is dead. You're being dramatic. But back to the Patriots. If the season ended today, I would say, yes, they're the best NFL they're the best defense in NFL history, mm-hmm. but their schedule does get very, very tough. And that's, they have the Browns this week, which, eh, it's a toss up. Whether the Browns want to show up or not. And then they have the Ravens. I have no faith in Baker Mayfield, so. Yeah. I mean, and then they have the Ravens, their Sunday night matchup. And then they have the Eagles. Then they have the Cowboys. Then they have the Texans. Then they have the Chiefs. So in that order. So, I mean, that's a tough matchup. Like, those teams are playoff caliber teams well, I mean, yeah i mean maybe but not the, chiefs, the browns and eagles right now but i mean i mean the chiefs are they don't have pat mahomes anymore but by, by that season, time by that time he'll ha- they'll have him back by I the time that by the time the patriots play him because he's only out for like two more weeks oh i thought he was out for three weeks three weeks from last week yes gotcha. so yeah he's not playing this week but he'll be back by the time the patriots Ooh, that would be chiefs. interesting to debut back against the patriots mm-hmm. that'll be very very interesting also very tough but i think he'll be back before that then because that's that's not going to be until another five weeks, I think, until they play each other. So he'll be back before then. But, yeah, that's definitely something to watch out for. So, I mean, if they can keep it up against these tough teams, then, yeah, just hand them the best NFL defense in NFL history. And then speaking about the other side of the ball and potentially being the best in NFL history at the certain aspect of the game, let's talk about Lamar Jackson shutting up the doubters with the win in Seattle. He, at this pace, he looks like he's going to be the best running quarterback in NFL history. I think a lot of people, the way he's been playing, like he's a lot of analysts are saying that he's been putting up better numbers on the ground uh, than Michael Vick was back in the day. So Yeah, people are comparing him a lot to Michael Vick and that he's the new version of Michael Vick, essentially, yeah. which I would definitely agree with as well. I mean, he definitely shut up the doubters, uh, shut up the doubters, especially against a team like the Seahawks. In he, Seattle, yeah. too. That was, so the biggest thing was I thought the Ravens would lose because of the 12th man in Seattle. But turns out, at the end of the game, the crowd was chanting MVP for Lamar Jackson, which is, I never thought I would have seen that in Seattle because Seattle as the best crowd in the NFL when it, when it going to their games. But it's because he, he made plays all game long. Yeah. All game long. I mean, he completed 9 of 20 passes for 143 yards. That wasn't impressive. But Well, he, for a 400, he threw for 143 yards. Yeah, not that impressive for a quarterback. But talk about his ground game. I was going to say, but his ground game, he had 
he gave himself 14 carries essentially because he ran for 116 yards. So in total, that's what? That's back-to-back 100-yard rushing games for him and a touchdown. He had a touchdown as well too. So and they yeah and they won thirty to fourteen handled the Seahawks yeah but I think a lot of it was credited to that Ravens defense for finally showing up this season for once <laughs> wow <laughs> but yeah Lamar Jackson has helped the Ravens to a five and two start and best in the AFC North and I think that's kind of a runaway uh, division right now unless the Browns magically turn it around and just go get super hot which I doubt but <laughs> I highly doubt that too but Lamar Jackson has just been playing really well this season he's sixth in the league in rushing yards sixth in the league in rushing yards behind Zeke so he's ahead of Derrick Henry Chris Carson Josh Jacobs like all these number one tier running backs and he's ahead of all of them in rushing yards and then he's as a quarterback as a quarterback imagine if he was you know back to being running back like he'd be unstoppable I just think it's hilarious how he could really do both yeah I I think like I think back to what you said in the beginning the doubters are definitely quiet now yeah how could how could they what could they still say i mean he's 16th in the league in passing so he could be a little better passer but i mean when your run game is that dominant like why do you need a pass like honestly to a certain you, extent, it doesn't matter like you said it doesn't matter you as long as you win who cares exactly exactly and who i think cares? the thing is it's a lot of people talking about his inability to throw the ball it's Every time he hikes the ball and he drops back to pass the ball, he's having defenders stick on the receivers for a particular reason. Because if he needs to make that passing play, he still will. Like, it's not like he's atrocious and just throws up ducks. Like, he can beat you both ways. So I think it's interesting how he plays because he's not just looking for, oh, I got to get rid of the ball, I got to throw it. No, he can run as well. And that's what throws off defenses. So I think what messed him up is, okay, he had the game against the Dolphins, which he dominated, game against the Cardinals, which he dominated. And then he had the Chiefs, and he had, uh, who was it, the Browns, that they lost back-to-back games in. Mm -hmm. And I think his mindset coming into the season is that I'm a quarterback, I want to be in the pocket for as long as I can and try to throw the ball. And that's when we constantly were seeing him getting sacked because he wanted to be a passer. But knowing that you have such a unique skill in running the ball, I think now it's kind of hit him that, okay, stay in the pocket as long as you want to try to make the pass to make the play. But... If you, there should be a trigger in the head that should immediately click like, okay, I need to go. I need to get my team first down. And that's normally what he does. First down, second down, he'll sit in the pocket. He'll like, maybe if he doesn't see anything, he'll get a yard or two Mm -hmm. or he'll take the sack. And then third down, if he knows that he can run to get that first down, he will. And that's what I'm seeing is uh, he's improving on throughout the season. Yeah. I mean, but as teams keep watching film on him operate, it might, it's like, like I said, it's going to be harder. It's harder for, to react as a defense to that because, you know, what if they're tr- trying to throw a deep ball so you're in pass coverage, but Lamar, you can't leave the field, front of the field open because yeah. Lamar Jackson's going to run for And they have down. speedsters on the outside at receiver as well, too, so it's not like they just have, like, old chill schmoes playing mm-hmm. wide out. Yeah, he just can't be as obvious as, like you said, like, okay, right. first, first, second down, sit back, sit back, and then now I'm going to run because the defenses could easily adjust to that. Right. So he just has to keep switching it up. But, I mean, that goes with playing more games, getting that knowledge. So Here's a stat that I saw, which – blew my mind it was he has more total yards than 14 teams in the nfl the entire team he has four he has more yards than them that's sad for those 14 teams so i mean if the ravens keep rolling this way we could be talking about lamar jackson as mvp all right now moving on to some adjustments some teams have made with these with some trades Mohamed sanu to the Patriots, which was apparently decided before it was announced um, going into the season that this was going to happen. That's what allegedly 
I yeah. saw. Yeah, he wasn't Allegedly. really he wasn't really gelling with the uh, the Falcons anymore cuz but rightfully so. He was the number 2 receiver last year and then Calvin Ridley just had a breakout year. It took that spot from him, so I wouldn't want to be there either, but the the Patriots gave up a second round pick, which is kind of hefty give for him. But I mean, if the Patriots win the Super Bowl, it'll basically be like a third round pick because they'll be drafting at the end of the second round. Yeah. But yeah, and and the reason why they also traded is because they just placed Josh Gordon on injury reserve, so he's going to be out for a good amount of time. So yeah, so Sanu could easily jump right in and pick up where he left off. And I think this is a. I mean, I I'm like you said, it is a hefty trade in regards to the pick that they gave up in the draft. But yeah. I think this could eventually pan out for them. And Mohamed Sanu is actually known for his arm. He was he can actually throw, I think, what was it, 76 yards. Wow. So he, he has an arm, too. And they did a lot of trick plays in Atlanta, so I won't be surprised if Bill Belichick has some fun because Julian Edelman was also a quarterback back in college. So, I mean, mm-hmm. if they do, like, a double, triple pass to, like, Edelman to Sanu to then, Brady to then we're just gonna all have to sleep until this year that Tom Brady decides to retire. <laughs> yeah, for real. Because if they start doing that, they're not gonna lose a game. Even yeah. if they're down by 12, 14 points, there's five minutes left. Just do that for two for two um, plays, and you'll be fine. Just play schoolyard bullshit in the Literally. backfield, and then just wait till a receiver gets wide open. People be like, chuck it. Oh my god, let's not talk about he that. He probably throws further than Tom Brady. I wouldn't be surprised. Seventy six yards. That's is far. That's far. In other trade news, let's move on from what could be a possibly dominant Patriots team. Emmanuel Sanders is now on the Niners. I think this was a good pickup for the Niners. Uh, Give up a third and a fourth round pick to get Sanders and a fifth round pick. But I think the the 49ers have the second best run offense in the league. So, I mean, they're they're good on the run game. But their pass game, I believe they're 25th in the league. So, I think adding a receiver like Emmanuel Sanders will definitely help playing in that slot position as a reliable receiver to like on those third and sixes or whatever just to run and throw it at him and you know he'll he has uh good hands that he'll get that first down for you but yeah definitely just another weapon for the Niners to increase their game this year which we'll talk about in a bit yep okay so let's talk about our game of the week from last week we were talking about the Texans and Colts and boy uh this game surprised me actually it was definitely a game of the week for sure. Yeah. Um, the Colts came out. We did. We dominant. both had the Texans winning. I think we, we both had the Texans winning. We did winning. both have the Texans. It's a good thing we didn't bet on it. <laughs> yeah. That's why I don't bet. <laughs> and actually, Twitter had it 50-50. What is up with our, our polls all going 50-50? Listen, guys, I need you to be give us a little more answers <laughs> or something. It was literally 50-50. We had more than 15 votes. I mean, like. <laughs> that's a good amount of votes and for it to be 50 50 that's, that's making impressive. this a little hard for us but yeah so i mean that's that's how even this matchup was to be honest and that's why it was our game of the week and it was even throughout the entire game but i think the texans beat themselves for sure i'd agree the colts looked good but the texans for sure beat themselves yeah the colts didn't look that good to beat the texans like they did i mean the texans have made a lot of mistakes that they just shouldn't have especially to a colts team like this yeah and jacoby Brissett. Um, I almost said brisket because it keeps going <laughs> back to brisket. <laughs> My autocorrect is changing Jacoby Brissett's name to Jacoby Brisket, which is also not a bad name. <laughs> um, anyways, uh, Jacoby Brissett is improving every week and his ability to pick apart the man-to-man coverage that the Texans were doing, it was, was honestly phenomenal. 
Yeah, the Texans aren't known to have aren't known to have such good pass defense, and that's why they made that trade with I believe it was the Raiders. They picked up Gary on Connolly as mm-hmm. well, so as another corner to play them. Um, but yeah, the Texans weren't doing well on defense, and Jacoby Brissett was just picking them apart. And I think he that looked was amazing. The, that was the biggest question coming into the season is, and I still had the Texans at, or sorry the Colts as a playoff team because yes, Andrew Luck retired, but I mean, oh buddy, oh my god, you spit. Oh buddy, what happened? Sorry, quick uh, World Series update. Oh, that was a foul ball. I'm sorry. We was going off topic, but Ryan Zimmerman was inches away from a solo home run, which would have made it 2-1. Literally inches. Wow. That's so it looks tough. like Grinky's doing a great job. Yeah, he is. Okay. Sorry about that. Back to our topic. <laughs> but yeah, the the Texans defense, they honestly shot themselves in the foot. Four penalties that resulted in first downs, and those were all those four penalties were on third down. So they mm-hmm. basically just gave that first down and allowed the drive to go, especially, especially McKinney, the freaking linebacker, just tackled the wide receiver, and the ball wasn't even in the area. He just tackled him. He wasn't looking he was, at the quarterback or I anything. Think he, and that was on a third and goal, and if he misses that, then then the, the Colts uh, probably go for a field goal, and it's still a game, and then ended up that – the Colts uh, scored a touchdown on that drive. So I was just very, very curious as to why the hell he just tackled that receiver when the ball wasn't even thrown yet. It was stupid. It was very undisciplined that he did that. I mean, and it resulted in some people could say their loss. And that, I think that was a story for their defense throughout the game. But um, going back to Jacoby Brissett, like how you said, it was a question whether or not he could become the new franchise quarterback for the Colts. And I think he can. And this gives Colts fans something to look forward to Mm -hmm. this season and even with the seasons to come because every week he seems to be improving. And their defense looked good as well, especially like they they were missing two of their starting secondary players. And they still performed pretty well. And they still performed well. They held Deshaun Watson. And uh, I think the big thing was Darius Leonard. Getting Darius Leonard back was absolutely huge. He was running sideline to sideline. And he he led the league in tackles last year for a reason as a rookie. Like Mm -hmm. the guy is a beast. And he was all pro last year as well too. So getting Darius Leonard back was a big, big thing for them this week. And then also there was this one play, which I want to talk about was uh, Deshaun Watson threw a touchdown pass to DeAndre Hopkins, but the ref blew it, blew it early because they were looking out for Deshaun Watson's safety because he was wrapped up basically by two defensive players and he still got the ball off, Mm -hmm. but they call it a sack because they didn't want him to get hurt or anything, which I get it, which is why I'm not mad at the refs. But at the same time that took a touchdown away and ended up into a field goal. So, I mean that, that could have changed the whole momentum of the entire game right there. I mean, I think we said this a couple episodes ago where you don't blow the whistle until like the play is really over. I get they were looking for his safety, but yeah, I mean, it sucks, but at the same time, I can't really argue with you know, the referee for for the first time ever. Probably, I was gonna say honestly, this was probably one of the best weeks the refs had in the NFL. I mean, not much to complain about. Yeah, other that, than average ref. Terrible, I mean, this but is, it's this is not, what it should be. We should not be celebrating a good week of refereeing because this is how it should be. Honestly, it's a good thing they never made a Twitter like the refs in the NBA. <laughs> Imagine. Oh man, the NBA Death started. Threats. I can't wait to see what those freaking refs are tweeting. <laughs> it was a bad thing in the NBA. They were like teddy bear soft this week. I think it was the Mavericks uh, Wizards game, and they ejected Bradley Beal for basically just like messing around with Luca. And both Luca Doncic and Bradley Beal were like laughing about it because yeah. they're like, "Why did we just get?" T- up like this is basketball it's competitive and then bradley beal got ejected for it and we were just like what the hell some yeah, that soft was, ass that, refs. Was, that was pretty stupid i will admit but oh this justin the nationals are on 
the board. Yeah, I think Nationals was, are on the board. I think that was Victor Robles. Victor Robles hit a triple, who which scored Ryan Zimmerman, who was walked after he hit that um, foul foul ball home yeah, run. He walked. It was basically so. Her. It's getting a little closer. Zach Greinke is honestly still doing pretty great. This is probably one of the worst innings he's had throughout the first three, the first four. So, and yeah. there's only one out. Only one out, and I think it's back to the top of the order. Yeah. So, but actually, yeah, but Greinke has allowed five hits so far. Okay, so now let's move on to this week's game of the week, which we have the Carolina Panthers versus the 49ers. Panthers are sitting at 4-2. and two. They're on a four-game winning streak, and the 49ers are 6-0, and oh, still undefeated. So let's start off with the undefeated team, the 49ers. Are they legit, or do you think this is just a fluke? I don't think it's a fluke. I do think that they have a pretty decent team. Although, like we, I think you said last week, they haven't really played extremely stronger teams. I mean, the Panthers is probably one of the first teams that they're going to face that's stronger than what they've played in the beginning of the season. Um, I think this week's going to be a true test for them and the rest of the season as well, obviously. After this week, the 49ers, well, they face the Cardinals, which should be a win, but then they face the Seahawks, the Packers, the Ravens, the Saints, the Falcons, the Rams, and then the Seahawks again. So the latter part of the season is going to be pretty intense. So I think that's when I could really judge. Yeah, I think outside outside the Cardinals and the Falcons, like those are pretty much the two wins. But outside of that, those are all tough matchups. Exactly. So I think we'll have to wait and see when they, I think they play the Packers first. Yeah, they play the Packers first after the Panthers. So we'll really see how they measure up. And if they're able to stop Aaron Rodgers and if Garoppolo is still be able to go off, then they'll say they're legit. But until I watch that game, I don't want to make – any rash decisions because I need more evidence. I witnessed this first time. I already made the first mistake after I yelled and exclaimed that the Cowboys were going to be <laughs> Super Bowl contenders, which I do still think that they are because they have, they did well against the Eagles, but they talk hot, talking about how she hopped off the DAC train one week. Too I said early. I took a pit stop. No, I said I took a pit she, stop. She said she hopped off. I said I took a pit stop. Either way. Anyways. Either way. He proved you wrong. I, did, I, I forgot I was supposed to call you out this episode for that. Uh, he did. He did very well against the Eagles. Thank God. Honestly. I mean, it's not a surprise. That Eagles secondary is god-awful. Still. But the fact that they were able to score right out the gate in the first quarter. Yeah. Amazing. Anyways. Just funny. But <laughs> but same situation with the Cowboys. People are, um, the first three games, everybody said, you know, these teams are weak, but they look really, really good, blah, 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 blah. Same situation for the 49ers, except for instead of being like the Cowboys, there's only three games into the season. We're going to find out if they are legit six or seven games into the season just because they had an easier schedule. But I think the Niners, they're just, they've put up the numbers. Like the numbers don't lie, as we all say. Second in defense. First in the pass defense, eighth in rush defense. So that in itself right there is amazing. And then seventh best offense, 25th best pass offense, like I said before. But I think adding Emmanuel Sanders to that roster will help them out. And then second best run offense. So, But like I said, they haven't played extremely strong teams or yeah. defenses. So I'm, I'm, I'm I think, just going to hold my breath. I think they're legit, though. I think they can come out on these teams and win because I think Kyle Shanahan is a guru and he's just amazing at what he does as a head coach. So... We'll definitely see. So let's look at the other side of the game, the Panthers. Four and two, four straight games. And this is after naming Kyle Allen as their starter when was, Cam Newton went down. So I was going to say, you know who they're not looking at? Cam Newton. Definitely yeah. not looking at Cam Newton. Kyle think, Allen is I, a starter. I think this is a good move well, for the Panthers. Well, he's been balling. Yeah, it's a good move for four the Panthers. 4-0. Oh. 4 and 0, 900 passing yards and seven touchdowns, no interceptions. I mean, also, Cam Newton has been trash. God awful. So been overthrowing his receivers every Pretty single bad. play 
pretty bad. Yeah. It's really sad to see and depress. I think it's more depressing actually to see what his career has become. I still <laughs> think he can be a solid player. I think he just had two rough outings and I think he can still turn things around because he's Cam Newton. He's also, he's a dual threat. He can, but he's not a dual threat right now. Like if we're talking about right now, he's just not it. And he was one of the best, one and of I the better think- ones. I think that's what brings up the question is whether they're going to go Kyle Allen or whether they're going to stick with their gut and go Cam Newton. But I think th- I think this game against the 49ers is going to tell it off. Kyle Allen plays good. I think it's a no-brainer. You go with Kyle Allen, there's no way you can turn back from this. And then if not, then I think it raises the question whether you go Kyle Allen or Cam Newton. But a lot of teams in the NFL are saying that they're actually very interested uh, to trade for Cam Newton if that's the case, if they go with Kyle Allen. Well, but Cam Newton's contract doesn't really allow yeah. for a trade, so that's the bummer. But, I mean, a lot of teams are interested. Who are some teams that you would think? I have the Bears. I have the Bears as my team that they're going to trade. And uh, I was looking at the salary caps, and it could work out. because So next year, Cam Newton is set to make $18.6 million. And I think even with Khalil Mack's contract and all that stuff, I think if they cut a couple veteran players, they, they'll be able to work his contract out. And I think, especially with Mitch Trubisky, he has not been playing well. At all. Especially for being the number two pick, which I just want to say, in the 2017 draft where he was picked number two, uh, Patrick Mahomes was taken 10th overall, and Deshaun Watson was taken 13th overall or 14th overall. That's funny. So they passed up those two quarterbacks to pick up Mitch Trubisky, and boy, it is biting them in the ass right now. One, yeah, definitely. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I think I don't think they're too deep with Mitch Trubisky right now to a point where they can move on from and bring in a guy like Cam Newton, who has been an MVP and who has been to the Super Bowl and has ample playoff uh, experience. Yeah, I mean Cam Newton just I think himself internally he needs to turn it around and get. Yeah. I don't think he doesn't seem like he's very men- he's not really mentally in it at this point. He might be frustrated. There might be other things going on, but he's just not the same Cam Newton that. Everybody knows the great Cam Newton as. Yeah, it's just I agree. not. But I think maybe a change of scenery could change all of that. That's definitely true. Different coaching staff, just especially a of, just a new. Yeah, especially a knowing that you have the Chicago Bears defense behind you, one of the best defenses in the league right yeah. now, that could definitely change things around. Yeah. But yeah, so that's gonna wrap up this episode uh, of the Nosebleeds. Make sure you are following us on Twitter, Instagram. What are we? We are on Instagram at the nosebleeds, K-N-O-W-S bleeds. And on Twitter, we are at the underscore nosebleeds. Keep an eye out. We're going to be putting up some polls. And if you have any questions or any comments, then we are going to say it in next week's podcast because we didn't do that this week. Yeah. Uh, And just a quick World Series update when we end this. It is top of the fifth, one out. Uh, It's 2-1. Houston still up with... We'll, Annabelle Sanchez and Granky still going on out there. So uh, we'll, we'll see, see if Granky can pull this win off for the Astros and if the Nationals can come back. We'll see you next time. Deuces. Deuces.